0: I'm Christina Previtt, and you're listening to Wake Up Call. I'm the CEO and co-owner of New Jersey Divorce Solutions, a law firm located in central New Jersey, focusing exclusively on divorce and family law. I've been an attorney for the past 16 years. Wake Up Call is an opportunity for me to have intimate conversations with people who are doing big things. That could be starting a business. It could be living an unorthodox lifestyle. It could be an incredible once-in-a-lifetime experience. Everyone has a story. I interview them, and I share those stories with you. It's also an opportunity to learn from other people about their deepest thoughts and desires, the thoughts that most of us don't talk about openly. We've all got one life to live. We don't know how long we get. If you want to live your life to the fullest and achieve every potential you have, you have something to learn from these people and their stories, and so do I. I hope you enjoy these conversations and I hope they inspire you. You can learn more about me at ChristinaPrevitt.com. That's P R E V I T E. Sign up for my newsletter to keep up on everything that I'm exploring, reading, watching, and learning. You can also follow me on social media at Wake Up Call, the podcast. And now, today's episode of Wake Up Call. My guest today on Wake Up Call is Megan Murray. Megan is a divorce lawyer in Hazlitt, New Jersey. She recently started her own law firm only a year ago. She talks about what she initially thought she wanted to be when she grew up, her parents' difficult divorce, and what motivated her to become a divorce lawyer as well as her personal reasons for leaving a comfortable job at a prominent New Jersey law firm to go solo. And in case anybody is wondering, during the course of this interview, this interview was recorded when the coronavirus pandemic was big enough to be in the news, but the stay-at-home order had not been entered yet. And now, here is my conversation with Megan Murray, which starts off with my first question, as always. Enjoy. Where did you go to college, and what did you think you wanted to be
1: when you grew up? Well, I went to college at Boston University. I grew up in Cincinnati, Ohio, and I wanted to go somewhere different. And Boston University had a great school of communications, and I also thought Boston was a great city. And I wanted to be Oprah Winfrey or Barbara Walters or, you know, the, the big TV personality. Um, and so I took some great, great classes at BU, um, really a lot of in-depth journalism classes. We did classes where we would put on a show every single class. So, like, you would either be the producer or the director, whatever it may be, the reporter, and you would put on an actual news show every so every every class. So it was an amazing experience. But I realized throughout my college experience that probably being a reporter was not the best job for me because I do not like to work when I don't have, like, a fixed schedule. So ultimately speaking, I jumped ship and decided to go to law school. Well, how did you figure that out? Honestly, before I went to college, um, my parents had gone through a divorce, a very bad divorce, and I had always had this thought that I might want to do divorce law, and the reason for that was is that I really thought my mother's divorce attorney was absolutely incredible. Um, My mother was a person who was a stay-at-home mom, and she had never written a check in her life my dad did all the finances and so so when they were going through a divorce she really wanted to curl up in a ball and be like you know I can't move forward with my life and her attorney didn't just say okay you know you never have to go back to work she said no look you need to get back you need to go back to work you need to become independent and now i think a lot of it because of what her divorce attorney did she's one of the most independent women that i've ever met and so seeing that with my mother was something in me that thought you know i could do this I could help people out by doing this Um, but then it seemed a lot more glamorous to be a broadcast journalist so that's why I I I did that when I went to college
0: well I think being a divorce lawyer also seemed
1: more glamorous to me a long time ago I I think um, ultimately speaking if I could have gone directly to being Oprah or Barbara Walters but it's just truly they were honest with everybody Um, And these classes, I mean, we had professors who had worked at, I mean, we were big time reporters at NBC, anchors at CBS, uh, people working for People Magazine and various other um, journalistic enterprises and telling us that it's almost like going into the NBA or going into the PGA. It is a really, really, really competitive environment. It is. And you can work and work and and get there and do it. But some of it has to do with luck. Some of it has to do with being at the right place in the right time. Um, And you do have to be ready to work in a lifestyle where you are not really in control of what your life is, because the news doesn't wait for you.
0: Well, I guess it's good that you found out early that that wasn't your jam.
1: I think that's true. Yeah, I would rather do that than get into it. And then you realize um, my career is not going in the direction that I think is a, a good direction. I say that, but if I was Oprah now, I'd be pretty darn happy about
0: it, I think. Well, but how many people actually get to be like Oprah? not many right. or you could have been like Savannah Guthrie you could be on the Today Show that
1: would, that would be okay that would be fine yeah it's not too late if you change it's your ne- mind you know it's never too late people always change their career paths and people do amazing things like you know halfway through their, their career they say I'm going to take a break and do something different and they do it so
0: when you decided I'm going to law school was that something you had thought of before or was it
1: like it wasn't like on a whim you said I think I'm going to go to law school or was it I really made, uh, I remember my second year in college. um, And I I was lucky. I had a school that had a lot of AP courses, so I actually was in college only three years. So my second year was sort of like my junior year and made the decision all right, this is not, I'm not gonna, it's not gonna work for me to go the broadcast journalism route. So I made the plan right then. I'm gonna start taking the um, LSAT courses and go to law school. So it, it somewhat was on a whim that, all right, if I'm not going to do this, I have to go on another track, and then I was all in, going in the other direction.
0: And you knew you wanted to do divorce.
1: I did. I never wanted to practice anything else. I only wanted to do, do, to do divorce law because that was really what I had been inspired by with regard to my mom's attorney, so I never thought I would do anything else. Um, I always knew, once I knew that you could clerk after law school, I wanted to be with a family part judge, and I've, I've just always done family law.
0: So where did you go to law
1: school? I went to Wake Forest University because after Boston, I said, I'm going south. I will not be in the cold for three more years. Um, and I absolutely loved Wake Forest. The people there were wonderful. The professors there were wonderful. I met my husband at Wake Forest. We were co-editors of the law school newspaper together. So that was so fun. So you still
0: had that journalism blood in you?
1: I did. I did. It was fun. We wrote a lot of uh, columns and uh we got to meet a lot of interesting people working on the newspaper.
0: Okay, so then you always knew divorce law was what you wanted to do. You get through law school. And I have to ask you, did you grow up in New Jersey?
1: No, I grew up in Cincinnati, Ohio.
0: How did you end up in New Jersey?
1: Because I met my husband in law school, and he's from New Jersey. And it was one of these things where, like, I, I'm a person who plans. My husband is the exact opposite. He just thinks everything's going to happen. So we're in our third year of law school, and I'm saying, um, are we applying to jobs in Ohio? Or are we going to stay together? We're we going to New Jersey, and he's sort of like, "Oh, it'll just happen." So, as he likes to say, "I just, I just moved myself up to New Jersey because I found a job before he did. We applied both in Ohio and New Jersey, and I found a job first because I was basically the only one applying for jobs at that point in time. And I it came up before he did, and I lived with his parents for a while while he was still
0: in, so funny. in North
1: Carolina. Yeah. When
0: did you get married? After law school?
1: We were we got married. After law school, yeah. Um, Like a year and a half after law school, yeah. Okay,
0: so you weren't married already in law school. No. mm -mm. And you started clerking, I assume?
1: Yes, I clerked for uh, the presiding judge of the family part in Monmouth County. And when I was clerking for him, and he was a tough judge. All the other law clerks were going to the bar at 4 o'clock. Me, no, never. The first weekend I worked for him, it was going into Labor Day weekend. I had asked sheriff's officers carry out boxes of motions to my car, and he came to my house on Monday on Labor Day to pick up all of the tentative decisions that I put together. But wow. I learned I learned a a ton from him. I did learn a ton from him, but it was tough. It was very tough.
0: So, did you ever have a time then when you're working really hard? Because we all know that law school is completely different than practice. Yes. Was there ever a time where you thought, I don't know, maybe this isn't what I want to do?
1: You know, there's still times that I think maybe this isn't what I want to do because I think, I truly think this is just a really, really hard practice. I think I meet diamonds in the rough clients who really throughout the entire divorce process are so respectful of their spouse and really want to do it fairly for everybody, which is what it should be about. Everybody putting their cards up on the table and doing it fairly. But the truth is that it, because of the emotion involved. Sometimes it brings out the worst and even the best of people. And I feel like we're in a profession that it's very hard if you're a client to get satisfaction out of the process because you're giving up time with your kids, you're giving up assets that you considered yours in a big pot, you're taking one pot of money and having two sets of expenses. And so a lot of times clients can get frustrated with their attorneys even when it's not the attorney's fault it's just the reality of divorce. So it, it's hard. And I know you are you practice divorce. I think you need those days where you have a client who really, even in a tough case, says, wow, just thank you for what you're doing. I really appreciate what you're doing. And it's really those days that keep me going. And it reminds me that, look, I am making a difference in the lives of people. And there are people who appreciate it. Notwithstanding the days where you think, like, oh, my gosh, why do I do this? How can I do this? You, you remember that. If, if you give up, I, and I know how you are, Christina, and the way that you practice, if there's attorneys like us who wanna do it the right way who give up, it's just gonna be more in the pool of people who are doing it the wrong way, and that doesn't help out people who are going through a really tough time in their lives.
0: So you are providing a real service to
1: people. I like to look at it that way. I mean, I really do think that, um, God forbid, I never wanna get divorced because it seems like just such a, a terrible thing to be, I mean, you're losing what should have been your best friend. So I think it's a terrible time. And I think that if you can get people to that other end, the goal should be if you can do it as quickly as possible and to get the best possible mutual outcome for everybody, you're definitely doing a service to those individuals.
0: So you said that your parents had a nasty divorce. Are there ever times when you look at you remember things that happened in the past and you sort of look at it differently based upon your
1: experience now as a divorce lawyer? Un- unquestionably. I think one of the greatest things, my mom, she's my my best, absolutely my best friend. When they were going through the divorce, I was like, uh, started out when I was like in seventh grade. It went on for some time. Um, but I did see my dad was, he was having affairs. Um, I didn't know that at the time, but he was treating my mom terribly. And my mom was using me, I think, as a little bit of a crutch. She didn't have somebody else to talk to. So I remember her driving me to school, and she's crying, and, like, why is he treating me this way? And and at that time, I just felt terrible. You know, I I don't know. I didn't know what to say. Um, And I look back now, and I think, "Mm, probably really, you know, as hard as it is not to involve your kids in a divorce, um, and I certainly understand how hard it is for parents to to keep children out of it. I can see that I think that impacted upon me and just ha- feeling like you're in the middle and, and not really knowing how to deal with that because it's your parents. Um, so yeah, definitely, um, I think there's, I see things differently now that I'm doing it myself.
0: You. It must be an asset to you though that you have those experiences when you counsel your clients.
1: I think so, it gives me a unique perspective. I think anybody who Whether whatever you're doing in terms of your career or whatever you're doing in day to day life, if you you've actually experienced it, I think you can impart your own knowledge in terms of what you're doing and how you're informing your clients. Because whether it's informed you in a way that you realize you've made mistakes about how you've seen it in the past or whether it's you think things have been done the right way in terms of your own personal experience, you can relate that to your clients in terms of being a positive impact, having a positive impact on them. So you, um, enjoyed your clerkship. I did enjoy my clerkship from the standpoint of learning. I can't say enjoy my clerkship from the standpoint of fun. It was probably a, uh, one on a scale of one to 10 on the, the fun standpoint, because it was a lot of work. Yeah. It sounds like you worked more than probably the average law clerk. My mom always says, I, I tend to find like every job that I do. It's like, why, Megan, why are you finding the job that seems to be like you You have the boss that's really tough, really like extra hours? I don't know. Maybe it's more me. I don't know what's happening. But yeah, I really feel like I'm always finding jobs where I'm working really, really, really long hours. Of well, course, now I'm my own boss and I'm working yeah. really, really, really long hours. So
0: Well, I think the universe gives you what you need when you need it, right? I, well, it sounds a sort philosophy. of... philosophy. I do. I believe that. So I, for, for some reason, you needed that.
1: Yeah, I think that I think that could be true. No, I really do like that philosophy. Good. In fact, I just got—it's amazing. You'd love it. The Peloton.
0: I had a Peloton. I used it twice, and I sold it.
1: No. <laughs> I absolutely like these instructors. I listen to what they say, and it's so like what they say. Yeah, you can. You're getting what you can do, and it's everything they say. I think is so inspirational, and I think it's hilarious because I got it. And my husband was like, "This is the stupidest gimmicky thing I've ever seen." And two days after I had it, he's like, uh, "So, how much did those Peloton shoes cost?" I was like, "Oh, why do you ask?" Yeah, but there's some Does people who're just not it? into it. He, he just he ordered the shoes. They're well, the
0: I think I started out going to SoulCycle. I love SoulCycle. And have you been to SoulCycle? What's the difference?
1: No. What's the difference?
0: It's sort of hard to really explain. It's more like an experience. You're not just going to the gym and riding the bike. Because yeah. I think a, tradi- a regular, traditional spinning class at a gym, they're really boring. They're yeah. terrible to I've get I've
1: never done spin before in my life. so.
0: Well, you were very brave buying that bike because it is an investment. But SoulCycle is like it's a, it's more of a community it's like they've really created a community and so and more like
1: you're enjoying it as opposed to just logging through like yes. here let me feel like i'm killing myself yes for and 45 you know minutes.
0: they really curate the music and the instructors are incredibly enthusiastic and you sort of dance on the bike like it's hard to explain you 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 ride to the beat of the music. Well, that's
1: what th- that's what there's this one instructor, Alex, who I love because you're he really gets you into like da- he says like feel like dancing, and I love yeah. to dance. Yeah.
0: So then the, he probably does it a lot like Cycle. Okay. So, but yeah, I I got a Peloton and it's we laugh about it now. I I literally used it twice, and and then it just gathered dust.
1: Well, that's okay because it's thirty days free, right? So you could just oh no, with- I
0: had it for at least a year. Oh, it's okay okay I sold it to somebody I there sold it go. to her half price she loves it uses it all the time so oh, it's it's it has good. a
1: nice home now it's all good all right yeah segue into the Peloton yes
0: so so that was a plug for SoulCycle and Peloton yeah
1: right we should be getting royalties I think we should right? be yeah we should be.
0: So then you do your clerkship. It sounds like you probably were happy to be done with that year.
1: I was ready to be done with my clerkship and move on. Yeah, absolutely. So then where'd you go? So um, when I was clerking, um, Frank Lewis, you know Frank, um, was in court one day and he says, hey, you have to interview for this individual, John Payone. He's an amazing attorney. I had never heard of John before because, first of all, John's uh, office was in a different county. Second of all, he does not go to court a lot motion practice is not his thing so I interviewed with John and it really was just fate that I met Frank Lewis that day and he said interview for John because that was it I was with John um, from 2006 until I opened my own firm last year wow yeah
0: you were with him I'm trying to do math right now 2006 to 2000 19? It's still
1: 2019, so 13, well, 13 year, years. 13 years, yeah. And we really were, I mean, he was like a father to me, truly. Um, we were just so close. We worked well together. We had the same sort of mindset um, and mentality about how to do things. He's one who starts things early, but like gets, puts every single bit of effort into it. He, uh, there is another attorney at the office, Bob Zaleski, who I love, but he's more of the one who would like have you do stuff last minute and he can think right off the cuff like that. I'm more of like a preparer. John and I were very similar in the way that, that we worked.
0: Well, I can always tell that you guys had a good relationship.
1: Yeah, we did. So yeah, it was a great 13 years with John. It really was. So then what, what was the The, reason that you ended up leaving? So I, more and more as I was developing myself and my career, I think the closeness with John was an impediment in a way, a self-impediment, because I always felt like I was working for my father, like I was a little girl. And I ultimately came to the conclusion that I never felt like I was really going to be, like, the grown-up attorney unless I captained my own ship. And at the same time, um, John and I are from a different generation, and we had different ideas about what we wanted in a firm. And I didn't want to be stomping on his toes. His firm is his baby. So I thought, I'll open up my own firm, do my own thing. And it was a really, I think it was one of the smartest things that I ever did, one of the hardest things I've ever did. I don't think I've ever cried so much in my life the day that I walked out of that firm. But its it's been a really empowering experience, because I was so scared to do it. I mean, it's as you know very well, yeah. you think, there's not going to be clients who are calling. I'm going to be sitting here in my office, and theres I'm going to bring us into bankruptcy. I'm saying to my husband, oh my gosh. I, what if nobody comes I, we have all these overhead expenses and it just it's worked you know if if, if you're somebody who's put in the time your cli- the clients come and it's been a great experience that's the number one fear i think that anybody
0: has when they're going out on their own is how am i going to get clients am i going to get clients i think we probably have this completely irrational fear that what if i don't get any clients What if I don't get any at all? Which is, you realize later when you get the clients, like, that was kind of stupid. Why was I worried about that?
1: Oh, I I mean, I really thought I could be sitting in my office and the phone is just not going to ring. And what do I do? And I remember my husband was saying, look, you can always go back to a firm. But he really thought it was ridiculous. He said, if you got clients when you worked with John you're going to get clients, you know. And and I was lucky enough cuz all of my clients with John came with me, so I had a base to start with yes. at least. I give people so much credit who get out of law school and just put the shingle out and they just wait for the first phone call. At least I had a, a little, you know, padding to to go in to well, get me Well, you had me, 13 years forward. experience. I mean, that's you you were a real lawyer by that point, I, right? I was a real lawyer. Yes, I absolutely. Mean,
0: I, I always say I felt like a real lawyer when I actually felt like I always kind of knew what to do that there wasn't I I just started noticing that there wouldn't be a time where I'd be like oh gosh I don't know what to do I think I need to go ask Bill which was the guy that I worked for I think I need to go talk to Bill about this and you don't even realize it happens you just kind of realize one day like
1: you know I don't I don't really have to ask him so much anymore I think you're you are exactly right I remember a couple years out of uh, working for John, or when I was working for John just a couple of years. And every day I was you were just like worried about something or am I doing this right? Is this right? Not that I don't worry, not that I think I'm doing things perfectly now, but I remember asking Dan Brown, who was a partner at the law firm at that time and now as a judge, saying, Dan, do you ever get to the point that you just sort of know what you're doing? And he got a smile and he said, yeah, it will come. And you're right. You don't really, there's not a magic moment, but it just comes where you're just, doing it naturally is a a matter of course and not like you're never nervous about a court appearance or a, a, a big case or a big event but it's it's not the same thing you just sort of it clicks you know what you're doing well when did you start to get the itch though that maybe it was time to have your own thing i would say probably a year and a half or so before i actually went out um I think one of the things that really held me back for a while was just how close I was with John. And I didn't want—you know, it was—I did not want him to feel that this was an affront to him um, or that this was, you know, his fault in some way. This uh, was—that was a really, really tough thing for me. And really, I I talked to, like, family and friends a lot who said— This—people do this. You—ultimately speaking, this isn't about—he went out on his own, too, you know? He was with a big firm. He went out on his own. And I ultimately—I believe everybody has a right to happiness, and I think that was what I needed to get to my next level of happiness and really feeling like I was achieving where I wanted to be in my life. I worked my ass off for many, 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 many years, Um, and I always tried to do the right thing by John and the firm. And I think he recognized that. And I think he recognized that this was, as he said, it was sort of like sending his daughter off to college, Um, which goes back to the thought that it really was, I always felt like a little kid, even when I was sort of like an attorney now is in the American Academy. I was going to be an officer of the state bar. I still felt like a little kid because I was working with my dad, in quotes.
0: I can understand that because I had a similar relationship with the person that I worked for so yeah it does there comes a point where the really if the relationship isn't going to grow and change then it's it's almost like you've set a pattern right
1: right yeah i in additionally and i absolutely adore both of his children but both of his children at that point were working for the firm and i found it hard for myself to feel that i could be ultimately objective with them because I'd known them growing up. So it'd be hard for me to be like their superior and telling them, no, you can't do it this way. Or why did you do this? I felt like that was going to be very difficult for me. And I didn't feel like I would do a good job training them. And I knew I would be in that position where I'd be doing that. So then what was it that you said, I'm not going to go work for someone else. This is going to be my show. Because after having worked in a firm setting and working for somebody else, um, I really felt like I want to be completely in control of the cases that I'm taking in, the decisions that I'm making, the hours that I'm making. And John was very liberal with regard to, you know, if I wanted to work from home during the morning. or he, I mean, that type of thing wasn't a big deal, but I self-imposed it on myself because I always felt like somebody was watching over me. I didn't yeah. want any of that sense anymore. Yeah. I didn't want it to feel like, oh I don't I'm not going to a bar dinner. I'm gonna get like, you know, the black mark in the book. Even if that wasn't happening, I internally made myself feel bad because I felt like somebody was looking at me thinking, uh, why didn't she do that or why didn't she yeah. do this? I wanted to make the decisions. I wanted the buck stop to stop with me, period. So then tell me what your vision
0: has been for your firm because i know you said that there's there's a generational difference and i've experienced this myself i think a lot of it has to do with marketing and digital marketing and that sort of thing it is hard i think for the uh, previous generations to dive into that because they built a very successful practice with word of mouth referrals and They're not the Instagram, Facebook, Twitter crowd, so it's sort of hard for them to make that mental shift, and I'm just guessing, and and you're nodding right now, was that one of the differences in your management
1: styles? Um, yes, to some extent. I think I really started to do a push for we have to really be updating the way that we're advertising ourselves. And I think I think John really wanted to make the shift, but I think it is that sometimes what you don't know, you don't even under understand. Um, but I will say, even in my own firm, I find that the best referrals I get are word of mouth referrals. I find that they generally use my my website or online sources as sort of a check, like okay, yeah. I've. I've had this person, she's been referred to me, let me check her out. Um, I, I don't find that the best um, clients that I'm getting in terms of uh, clients who are really ready to move forward or, or, uh, are through the, web, or through the website. I agree, we've had that experience too. And I sort of feel like, you know, if it was me, I wouldn't want to find my attorney a divorce attorney through a website i'd ask somebody else who was your attorney good you know get somebody that i trust to tell me that they had an attorney that was that was good so i want to get into
0: your role as a business person because i talk about this a lot on my show i also learned the hard way that when you hang a shingle you're not just a lawyer anymore, you're a business owner, you are running a business. And those are two very distinct roles. Did
1: you kind of figure that out the hard way too? Or did you already realize that? I tend to be a little bit of a nervous Nelly and always like, think, prepare for the worst, I suppose. So I went in knowing that it was going to be a lot of additional work. But I'm very lucky because my husband does a lot of the managerial aspects he does all the the books and records of the office so i don't have to deal with that but there's still a lot of making sure you're on top of you know receivables coming in all of the making sure that the calendars are all coordinated making sure that staff is getting paid um And those are things you didn't have to do before, right? No. I mean, making sure that you have simple things like having supplies in the office, setting up the telephone, making sure when the internet goes out, you're, I mean, it's you. Before, everybody else was doing that for you. And as you know, starting up is difficult because you have to find the IT guy. You have to find the website guy. You have to find the bank. You have to find the, every single type of insurance you could ever imagine. And there's a lot to be done in terms of the setup. And I felt like it, took a good several months to get into the groove of it, because I remember in the first week, the internet went out, we were completely down. You know, it was one little mini crisis after another, which you get through, but when you're just starting out, the mini crisis seems like the coronavirus, like the world is yes. coming to an end. <laughs>
0: well, there's no muscle memory for it, because at once you get do it for a while, I've had my business, I think we're on year six now, and you're on year one. So you're still in the learning curve. You still have this steep learning curve. But it sounds like you roll with it. But you don't have any real muscle memory like oh my God, how do I deal with this? I think after a while as a business owner, you just learn that this is just how it is. This is the animal, right? This is the animal of running a business. And at least my experience was that I learned to start asking for help and seeing, well, what do other people do? I'm not, I don't want to reinvent the wheel. Someone else has done all of this already and done it well.
1: So I actually started investing in coaches. Have you done anything like that? I actually did. um, Do you know Heather Keith? Um, Yes. She gave me the name of a coach. I talked to a coach one time, but I, I didn't retain her. I haven't used her. Absolutely rely upon people who have been just like, mentors to me throughout my legal career. Chuck Votto, I call all the time. Cheryl Seiden, I call all the time. Brian Schwartz, I call all the time for those types of questions of how did you set this up? How did you do this? How did you? So I use colleagues, but I think business coaches are a, a great idea. I know Allison Williams is doing that now. Yeah. And I think they can get you to focus in on what you need to be focusing on.
0: Yeah, I think what I try to do, too, is I try to look at what do other types of industries do? Because I think a lot of times as lawyers, we get kind of stuck on, well, I'm a lawyer first and I'm running a law firm. But you have to remember, you're running a business what do other businesses do? And I try to look at what do other businesses do that I could do, that maybe is actually out of outside the box that because I think a lot of times we have a tendency to just see, well, what are the other law firm owners doing? And then we just do that. And I kind of want to set myself apart. I want to do something different, more innovative.
1: I think that's an absolutely good idea, because if you just get stuck in the rut of what everybody else is going to do, you're not, I don't think you're being true to yourself sometimes, because we each have that unique aspect of us, and I think we should, each individual, try to craft a unique aspect of our businesses, because that's what makes us different, that, that's what makes the dynamic work with clients. Um, I, I, I agree with you. So I asked you earlier, but I think we sort of got sidetracked. What's your vision for your firm? Really, my vision is um, to—for lack of a better term, quality over quantity—I really try to limit the number of cases that I take, because I really like to be hands-on with regard to my cases. And my focus is getting all of the necessary information on both sides, taking the case out of the court system, being very hands-on at the beginning to try to get a settlement on an expedited basis and to have it as fair as possible to everybody. Well, we could talk about what's
0: not working with the entire divorce process, but we don't have enough time for that. I think that would be a different podcast. So, um but I want to learn more about you and your what drives you and what your what your real vision is for your future because you're you still have a baby law firm. You're not a baby lawyer but you have a baby law firm. So how do you like doing the business aspect? Do you enjoy that? Would would you love to be able to just sit and practice law all day and have someone else do
1: all the business stuff? I know I love having my, my own firm. It was the best decision I ever made. It's a freeing feeling. It's an empowering feeling. I love the aspects of having my husband and I sort of working together in it. Um, Everything about having my own firm, other than being my own worst boss, is excellent and I love it. Um, The vision for the future, you know, who knows? I don't want to be somebody who is practicing divorce law full time when I'm 75 years old. I don't. I also do believe, and many people don't want to hear this, that you can start to lose a few feet off your fastball at a certain point. And I think when you're, when you're, younger or you're in the the midst of your career in your 40s 50s 60s you're really still like you've you've got the energy and the time to do it and i think sometimes once you get past that point you've done it long enough that maybe it becomes too old hat to you so you're not thinking about it in a different way and you're not taking the time to maybe learn different ways to practice not with regard to everybody and i'm not trying to say that people who are a certain age shouldn't be practicing law but from my standpoint I want to be do, doing something else at that point. I'm gonna, you know, pass it down to somebody else who has maybe the energy that I kind of have right now. And I want to travel. I want to spend the time with my husband. I want to have a lot of dogs because I love dogs. Um, and yeah, I just want to enjoy life. I, this is a hard profession. Yeah, and is. I really do feel like every year is a dog year. I feel like when you're putting in one year as a divorce attorney, it's like seven years of, so I should be able to retire early and there's so many places I want to see. There's so many things I want to do. There's so many novels I r- want to read. I might go back to school, learn things, because I feel like my brain is only family law, which is really sad. And then when I go home, I don't want like to listen to anything educational. So then you watch mindless television. And so nothing wrong with mindless television, but I feel like I don't learn anything outside of family law, because my brain is shot by the time I get home. What about reading? Do you read? I I love reading Um, novels, not nonfiction, but all types of I really like historical fiction because I feel like I'm learning without really like reading like really dry, just like, you know, history book. Um, But yeah, I absolutely love reading. So what are you reading right now? This is just for me because I'm a a book nerd. It's a good book. Um, It's called The Normal People. And I think it was a New York Times bestseller just came out this year. Um, But I got through the library. I always get books through the library. And I just finished another one. I'll email you the name. It was like the, but it was like the, a woman wrote it, but it was like the inner thoughts of a guy and their dating life. And I thought it was so introspective about how women and men think differently in their relationships, which we know very well is very, very true. So I thought, I thought that was very, a very good book.
0: Well, I like to find out people's book recommendations because I'm a total book nerd. So I like to end each interview with a series of questions. Okay. They're I'm usually ready. the same questions, but I think I'm going to I'm going to change some of them. So you're my guinea pig. I'm, you're getting the new ones. All right, I'm ready. What's the best
1: advice that you ever got? Oh, best advice I ever got. The best advice I ever got, not that I necessarily think I'm good at practicing it, is that everybody deserves to be happy. That's the best advice I ever got, and I truly, absolutely, fundamentally believe that. I just think sometimes, and it's a, I, I think it's a mentality that's become worse and worse. When people start to feel happy, they think that they're not doing enough, or they're like, oh, why, why can't I just be happy in this moment? Um, I think when we work in this world, especially of like billable hours and this tough practice, that the second you're just like, oh, all right, today, I don't have too much on my schedule, all right, you go into a panic. Yes, I, I do. think that. it's good advice to just be happy in the moment. Just enjoy it. You know, sit, sit on your couch, get a glass of rosé and read the book. Yeah, yeah,
0: I think that's wonderful advice. Yeah. I
1: think a lot of people have this
0: expectation and maybe they learn this from their parents when they were little. I don't know where it comes from that life's just not supposed to be happy and everything's
1: work and and that's it. Right, which is a really pessimistic way to look at life, and that you're going to look be looked down upon if you're not working all the time. I think there's people who work, stay in the office longer hours than they really need to, or say, "Oh, I work X amount of hours a day," just as a badge of pride, because it's like embarrassing to say, "Oh, yeah, I went home at five o'clock." It should be okay to go home at five o'clock. I mean, you only live once. Do you you go home at five? No, I don't. Well, but you know, sometimes I do. A lot of times, especially during the summer months, like I shut the office down early. Um, a lot of times, like on Fridays, I go, you know, play golf with my husband or we'll go play tennis. Definitely when it gets warmer, I always, even if I do some work at night or on the weekends, I'll go home. We'll go play tennis. We'll take the dog on a walk. I, I do really try to ground myself in the fact that, Hey, if I'm going to work hard, I want to enjoy my life too. Because how many times do you hear things that happen to people and you think, yeah, every day I said I was going to do that. This person never got that opportunity. Um, Yeah, it's true. I always say, and it sounds sort of morbid and pessimistic,
0: but I always say to people, you don't know how long you get. You don't. We all think we're going to live to be old. I hope we do, but what
1: if we don't? And we don't know that. We don't know when our time is. One of the things that really, really put me over the edge with regard to opening my own firm and saying, now's the time, you wanted to do this, do this. Jenna uh, Shapiro and her daughter, three Mm. years old, leukemia and I thought uh, look number one stop complaining about the small things in your life number one number two you know life this this little girl is such a a shining example of how you you really don't know how long you'll have and you know it really did inspire me to make that move and I've told Jenna that um, gosh I feel so bad for her too
0: yeah thank you for sharing that I think when we go through life and stupid things can
1: seem like big
0: problems oh yeah right yeah but then
1: you think about somebody like jenna yeah. who lost her baby i remember i actually remember the day that i found out and i remember that morning i had been bitching to my husband about the fact that i needed a pedicure and i don't have time to get a pedicure and when i learned that i thought megan i know shut up like i know shut up seriously
0: it's true i really can't think of any problem that i have right now in my life that is that bad
1: no i mean right we're healthy we have people in our life that we love. That's sort of like really what matters ultimately.
0: Yeah, we get down because we focus so much on all the stuff that we want and whether they're materialistic goals or not, we focus on what we don't have, what we still want. And we're and we're working towards that. But how often do we really stop and say, well, what do I have in my life right this mm-hmm. very second? Right. Like, how lucky am I that I get to sit here on a work day and talk to you? Well, I don't, I don't know
1: if you're so lucky about that. But,
0: <laughs> <laughs> but it's a luxury, right? I mean, I'm not That's working very... at a
1: warehouse or out in a field somewhere oh, I think in a that. third world country. When you think about people who work three jobs, jobs a day at minimum wage, right? Yeah. Yeah. And
0: we have certain luxuries that yeah. we enjoy. You know, we go to... When I go to a steakhouse and I spend $50 on a steak, you know, not everybody
1: can do that. No. somebody That's somebody's grocery money for a week. I think of that all the time, and I think of that where, like, people complain about the taxes they're paying and everything else, and look, I don't like to pay taxes either, but we can pay our bills. We have luxuries. We can We can do things that, like you say, so many people don't have the opportunity to do, and so many people who are working for so much less— Working so much harder with a smile on their face too. That's true. That's true. I've met people that
0: are poor and they're so positive and so happy and there's so much love in their homes and I learned so many lessons from people like that. So anyway, preaching to the choir here. So my next question, if you won $100 million in the lottery, so money's no issue, right? We don't have to work for money anymore. What would you do? And my question really is, would you still continue
1: to do this? Or would you be like, I'm out of here. This place is closed down. (laughs) Effective immediately. I love this question. My husband and I play this all the time when there's like a mega millions. Um, Number one, I would travel all over the place. I would be absolutely lying to suggest that I would be doing this in any type of full-time time capacity um i think i would probably get a house somewhere south carolina on the beach nothing extravagant maybe a house on a golf course you know um i'm i'm not really like a a really material type of person that needs 50 cars or anything like that i would definitely use the money to travel and use the money to just sort of like do things that bring me sort of personal enjoyment Um, i'd probably give a lot of money away to different charities that i want and maybe then I would be able to maintain even, like, I'd have that money, a residence here, a residence by the beach, and just take on a few cases that you wanted to do and be able to really enjoy it because it's not where you feel like you have to maintain a certain amount of clientele. You have to keep churning. You don't have to take any case if you don't want to take it. Just to keep it going and feeling like it is a service that I've spent a lot of time putting time into, why not keep doing it?
0: So if you were writing Life's Instruction Manual, oh you know, what would be one of the top rules that you would have in it? or advice?
1: I think it would go I think it would go back to what we were talking about before, that really as hard as it is, and as much as everything is relative to try to like take a moment every day to think about what you have in your life and what's good about your life, I see more and more people who are suffering from depression. There's so much substance abuse. And I think there's so much bad going on in the world. And I think it's a good idea sometimes to just tune out everything and to remember what are the things that make you happy in your life. Um, Because we all need a reminder sometimes, it's the chaos, that there, there are good things that are happening in our life. And I also think it's a good idea for every single day to give yourself some time just for yourself. Put the phone away. Don't look at the computer. Do something that you want to do. Because you are allowed to do it. And don't feel guilty about it. Um, self-care. It's it, self-care. Yeah, care. right, yeah. Do you do that? Do you have a practice where you do do the same
0: thing every day, like in the morning? or?
1: or you- so, so my time really is, before I had the Peloton, I just had like a, a stationary bike, and I would read on the bike in the morning, like before I went to work. It sort of like boosted you a little bit, but it was just sort of my time. No phone, no nothing. Um, now I've been doing the Peloton, which is sort of like, an inspirational type of thing. But yeah, I do try to do that. Whether it's, especially when it's sunny outside, because I love being outside, just to go in the backyard, take my book, you know, have a glass of wine, read my book. Um, I, I try to be really pretty good about, yeah, taking some time for myself. And I get a massage every Sunday. I like that. I'm going to do that. Maybe I'll do that this weekend. Well, I don't know. I don't want
0: to catch the coronavirus. I, I, canceled,
1: <laughs> I canceled mine for the Sunday. Okay. What would you tell your 20 year old self? Um, I would tell my 20-year-old self, you don't have to work so hard. Take some time off. Quite frankly, I do regret, because once you get into it, you can't. Well, I guess you can. I shouldn't say that. I almost wish I would have taken off a year after college and just traveled for a year and taken the opportunity to do what, just do what you want, because once you're in it, you really can't do it again. Um, I mean, as I say, you can. But in our type of profession, you leave for a year. It's very hard to get yourself back into it. It's harder. So, it's harder. Uh, yeah. Plus, you
0: have responsibilities and right. husbands—not plural, but you know what I mean—and yeah, exactly. <laughs> hopefully not plural yeah. husbands. Yeah. And maybe kids, and you know, a dog, and a
1: house, yeah. and all that. So yeah, you, you. Or maybe I would have said, yeah, relax. Yeah. I, I'm always. I've always been like very always working really hard. So I think I would have said, like, have fun, relax, because, you know, now's the, t- now's the time to do it. Well, do you think that you need to tell your— I don't want to say 40 because you're not quite 40 yet, but do you think you need to tell your 38-year-old or 39-year-old self that? I do. I do tell myself that. but it, And I'm better at it than I used to be. I'm definitely yeah. much better about putting it away. But yeah. we all have our own person, and we have those personality traits that it's really hard to— train ourselves to do it a different way and I think you have to work hard to train yourself to yeah you do it's being mindful but you didn't get where you are today by not having that incredible
0: drive and
1: yeah I know you know I'm I'm glad that I have that drive but I I do I am much better especially on vacations like I'm not looking at my phone and responding to clients and that type of thing all the time because you become a slave to it you really do. do
0: Well, that's a lesson a lot of people haven't learned. So you're ahead. Okay, final question. What would you tell other women who are thinking of starting their own law firm but are afraid?
1: I think I would tell other women who want to start their other law firm uh, to start their own law firm is it isn't something to do on a whim. It's not easy to do. And you have to recognize where you are in your career. I had been practicing for a long time when I opened my own law firm, so, I had a client base and it was pretty easy to have clients start to come in. Um, If you don't have the financial backing and you're not in a position in your career where you're going to likely have a lot of clients right away, it's something that you have to legitimately consider. With that said, I think if you're somebody who is determined, I think if you're somebody who is a hard worker, and I think if you're somebody who is self-dedicated, meaning you can make yourself put in the time and the effort, you absolutely can be successful and it's all yours. It's all yours. And that's the best thing about being on your own because you don't have to share any of it with anybody else.
0: Nope. I like that advice. That's excellent advice. Thank you for sharing. Thank you. I really appreciate this. This was fun. It was fun. Yeah. And I hope a lot of other people learned something about you. Yeah, maybe so. Yeah.